What up, Sydney? This is the Gary V Audio Experience. It is good to be here. Hello, everyone. Please sit, sit. Let's do this. So, the way we structure today's talk is I'm going to talk for 30 minutes, and then we are going to do 30 minutes of Q&A, which I think are in the corners over there. Uh, they'll set that up. But first of all, thank you so much for the warm welcome. Uh, I'm ex- super excited uh, to be here. I touched down uh, earlier today, and there's a lot of different things I'd like to touch on, but what I'm going to speak about is really uh, things that I hope lead to more detailed questions when we get into the Q&A session. And so there's really two things that I think about, which is one of the reasons I talk a lot about things like clouds and dirt or macro, micro, or not being half pregnant or in the middle is I genuinely believe that when I analyze things that have worked for me, uh, for the businesses I admire, for other people that have created success, I think that you need to play in the edges. What I mean by that is upper funnel, lower funnel. What I mean by that is brand and sales. What I mean by that is scalable activities and then non-scalable activities. For me, one of the more interesting things I did today was on the drive here for about 40 minutes, I was just replying to a bunch of different texts that I've got from a text platform that I've created. One by one, every smart business friend I have would consider it a waste of time, um, not a good use of my time, and for me, those 39 to 44 people that actually got a detailed answer, it created depth in the relationship that I have with them. I genuinely believe that people struggle with with scaling non-scalable behavior. I believe that anybody here who has more than 10 employees does not spend enough time in one-on-one meetings with those employees or having a sense of what they want, not what we want out of those employees. And so I've been spending a lot of time thinking about activities that actually lead to what somebody wants. When I think about somebody buying a ticket to an event like this and spending all day, it means that they're looking for information, they're looking for a hack or an insight or a framework that helps them succeed. And for me, the reality is as my profile continues to grow, somebody asked me earlier today a question that led me to answering, most people don't act on what I'm talking about. You know, so much of what I'm talking about is very based in patience. It's very based in grinding work ethic work. I'm so not interested in anything short term, you know, and I feel like everyone is attracted to the next big platform or blockchain and cryptocurrency or cannabis or a quick trade or investment. Let it be very clear, Sydney, that the way I think about the world sits in decades, not in months. Almost half the questions I got on text and DM in the last month were framed in a version of, hey Gary Vee, how can I make a lot of money quickly? 
and I'm, there may not be a single person on earth that is worse at answering that question than me. My ability or interest in creating quick money is almost non-existent. And I'm fascinated by how few people win in quick moves, yet the majority of people are looking for it. There is no system, there is no passive income framework, there is no sure bet, there is no guaranteed return. There is lunch pail and hard hat, day in and day out, grinding, and trying to bring value to the people that you're trying to sell something to. And it's in perpetuity. And so we are so fortunate to be living during this time where the internet on your phone has created such substantial scale for all of us. None of our grandparents had the luxury of being able to build something significant that they could live off of on the power of something that was in their pocket. And yet, everybody is looking for the why nots instead of the whys, meaning I'm fascinated by the ability right now of humans to demonize technology. Kids should be off iPads more. Social media leads to anxiety and negativity. We, we are demonizing these technologies because what these technologies are doing right now is they're exposing us, they're not changing us. Instagram and Facebook and Twitter don't force you to be a dick face on their platforms. We're doing that. And so we live in this time where there's so much opportunity. And let me tell you how this opportunity works out. In its most simple, every single person in this room, whether they're trying to build a personal brand and speak and write books, or they're trying to sell their new bikini brand direct to consumer, or their cereal, or real estate, or financial advice, or running for mayor or president, whatever you're doing in this room, from that corner to that corner, unless you have the attention of people, and unless you articulate what you want to happen in a form that makes them want to act on it, you are completely irrelevant. The reason I pump out so much content in written, audio, and video form every single day across 10 different platforms, including podcast, email, and my text messaging platform, is because the cost of entry to be successful in society is predicated on communicating at scale. If you do not understand that part, if you do not understand that there's an enormous need to make compelling content, to excite somebody, to consider to do whatever you're up to, unless you understand that framework, you are outrageously vulnerable. Just because you think your videos are funny or good doesn't mean they do. Just because you think you make the best chocolate shake, if nobody knows about it, it's not gonna matter. So, please understand what the internet is actually doing. What the internet is actually doing at scale is it's shrinking the value of everything besides communication. If you're not building brand or awareness, you're becoming irrelevant. What's fascinating to me about that is so many people have those ambitions, but they're not creating the actions that lead to it. I was on the radio this morning when I first got here, 
and somebody called and said, I'm trying to build my whole business on Instagram and photography and I asked him, how many times a day are you posting? He said, once. And I said to myself, you're trying to build your entire life based on Instagram and you genuinely believe posting one time a day is going to be the gateway to that? I was looking at a lot of people that were leaving comments or tagging this event all day and I went on their Instagram accounts. About 40 people, I would say, during the day. Of those 40 people, only two people actually replied to people's comments on Instagram. The amount of people here that wanna grow on that platform, yet the small community that they have that actually reply to their content, they don't have time to reply and say thank you or continue the conversation, fascinates the shit out of me. We are in the most selfish framework society that I've ever seen. Every single person is so focused on what they want from other people, yet they deploy no value in return to the other person for what they want. The gateway to everything you're trying to get out of this conference is empathy and being selfless yet that is the least attractive thing to most people. People are so worried about how they're gonna get to an expensive watch or private plane or fancy vacation that they're confused of how you actually get there. And so I am unbelievably passionate in starting to continue the process that I've been on over the last 15 years, which is to put pressure on this room to understand, unless you're bringing value, you will become irrelevant because what the internet also does is it allows every one of us to play. The reason so many people ask me what the next big platform is is because they're far more interested in playing a game of being first versus playing a game of being best. Right now there are seven platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, that, and on and on that are at enormous scale. That if you were good at it, you would get enormous value. You would get unlimited customers, you would get unlimited opportunities, yet day in and day out, people continue to not wanna be what they need to be, which is, let me remind everybody very simply, if you are not remarkable at creating content that is post-produced, to understand the context of the platform that you're posting on, and more importantly, the psychology of people when they're on it, you will lose. Meaning, you can't post the same picture on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and think you're gonna get the same result. People are in a different mindset. Also, those platforms work differently. They have different ways to format pictures, different lengths of creative. This is one masterful game of communication. The reason we know the people that we know in history, whether Muhammad Ali or Gandhi, is because they were great communications hackers above and beyond what they were actually doing for a living. Everybody here now has the luxury of having the internet be the platform that they can communicate on. Yet, we have bum-rushed into a game of hacking or looking for shortcuts or the thing that will break through versus becoming craftsmen and craftswomen on these platforms. 
it has become very clear to me, especially recently, that a game of best at communication is the reason that I get the honor of standing here tonight. That I put in ungodly amounts of hours understanding these platforms and people's behaviors on them. That I lack the fear of having a post. You know, where I was about to go with that sentence, I just cut myself off because one of the things that I'm most excited about in the last decade in social media is actually being tested here in Australia, which is Instagram eliminating likes on posts. To me, this is one of the great moves in a long time in the industry because so many people have become so deeply insecure that all they really do with their content is post things that they know will get the most likes. The amount of muscle dudes who want to talk about other things that DM me and say, I want to talk about these other things, but when I post photos without my shirt, I get the most likes, so I keep doing it. And the conversations of when I ask them, why do you do that? And they don't even know. They're caught in the machine of getting more likes than talking about the thing they actually give a shit about. We are living in unprecedented times. Every person in this conference, including myself, is grossly underestimating the internet. This is the singular invention of the human race. It is the most important thing that has happened to humans since the printing press. It has completely changed the global political landscape. It has completely changed the leverage of human beings' ability. There is literally nothing stopping every person in this room from getting whatever they want because there is no man in the middle. The platforms have all the leverage and the consumer in the end is the actual punchline. So, here are the things that I'm most passionate about. A, if you are capable of starting a podcast around the thing you do, I highly recommend you use this talk to inspire you to do so and let me explain why. I believe that podcasts have almost like a triple hack to them. Number one, podcasts are being consumed at a remarkable rate. How many people in this audience, please raise your hands, listen to podcasts on a weekly basis? Raise your hands. Actually, stand up. I want everybody to see this. Please stand up if you listen to podcasts. And I want everybody to look around. We're talking about 90% of this audience, 80% of this audience. Thank you, please sit. If you can start a podcast, even if you have a thousand people listening, you don't have to be a top 100 podcast in the world. You need to have the people that you're trying to actually reach. If you have a podcast, what also happens out of a podcast is incredibly important. If you're thoughtful enough when you do your podcast to also film it, what ends up happening is now you have video content for YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn. If you also are disciplined enough to then transcribe the interview you have with somebody, you now have written content for those platforms. If you're extremely thoughtful, you invite guests who you actually want to do business with. When you're cold calling to do business, they ignore you. When you invite somebody to be a guest on your podcast, they're flattered. I highly recommend, if you've been debating it, to use this evening as the push to start that podcast. Number two, regardless of what you do, 
You started a shampoo brand for 15 year olds. You have to start looking at LinkedIn. LinkedIn, over the last year and a half, and I believe for at least another year or two based on the way I'm looking at it, is acting more like Facebook 2011 than any platform I've seen prior. It's been very fascinating to watch LinkedIn be a place where you don't have to just do business content. Yes, the psychology of people on there is a little more business oriented, but if you are in the B2B business, how many people here consider themselves in the B2B business? Raise your hand. If you're, one more time, a little higher if you don't mind. I mean, if you are not posting four, five, six times a day, and when I say posting, this goes back to the way I framed up this conversation. You have to make content that brings value to them isn't a sales pitch for you. Most of the content that I see on every platform is so self-serving, nobody gives a shit. Nobody wants to be sold to. There's too many other options. This isn't late night television or infomercials where there was only 36 channels. This is the internet. It's unlimited content and there's a lot of good shit out there. So if you're not putting out good shit, you're finished. You're not gonna will your way to victory. LinkedIn, for everybody who just raised their hand on B2B, is going to go away in its organic reach just like Facebook and Instagram do. You have to strike now. Please have a very significant LinkedIn strategy please start finding a way to produce more content. If you don't know how, if you don't know what to say, create a Q&A framework. Email blast your consumers and ask them what questions they have and then turn that into content. Figure it out, have guests, figure it out. You have to challenge. So to me, podcast and LinkedIn are remarkably out of control. How many people sell a product on the internet through Shopify or things of that nature? Sell something, raise your hands. For this group, I want to talk about influencer marketing. I believe that influencer marketing is at a maturity level that a lot of people think that it's now over or it's too expensive or they missed it. My belief is that we're five seconds into influencer marketing. That influencer marketing is here in perpetuity because word of mouth is that influencer marketing is unbelievably underpriced if you're sophisticated on your end and understand how to not overpay, and that if you sell any product, that you must absolutely get serious about influencer marketing, because over every other option in communication, when done right at scale, it returns the biggest ROI. The problem is, most people are chasing the whales of people that have millions of followers, and many of those people are now overpriced, because the follow count is the metric that they're selling against. Meanwhile, with my sneakers and my wine products, many people that have 3,000 or 5,000 or 8,000 people tend to be driving my biggest results because they have deep engaged audience and enormous trust in that audience. And so if you're on the consumer side, I highly recommend that you go down that path. The luxury of being 43 years old and operating businesses every day of my life for over 20 years is the following. I operated prior to the internet being at scale and mobile phones being at scale. What that means is when I did direct mail and newspapers and television and billboards to build my dad's liquor store, everything cost a lot of money. It was very expensive 
And if you were at zero, you had no fucking shot. We sit here tonight with the internet at scale. That if you're here and you have not started any of this and you've got nothing going on, that tomorrow at the cost of zero, only your sweat equity, you can start the process of building something meaningful. The excuses that fly at scale to why we haven't or why you haven't or why it hasn't happened is very difficult for somebody like me to swallow in a world where I didn't have these options. If I had fucking eBay and Instagram when I was 15, I would have been a trillionaire by 19. We are sitting in the easiest time to be a successful entrepreneur. In not so many words, if you're not successful right now, you suck. And what I mean by that is, we have a frothy global economy. Things are good at scale. We have internet at scale. Cost zero. If you are not successful right now, you're in a bad spot because the playing field is easier than it's ever been in the history of the human race. That's not a dig. I'm not interested in razzing. I'm not trying to be Debbie fucking Downer. I'm trying to create a very logical conversation that if you're not, you need to recognize that 80% likely you're trying to make it happen too fast because deep down you're so insecure that you need financial success to cover up your pain. Or B, you just might not be good at it. And what you should do is what a lot of my friends did, which they became employee number 13 and 19 and 25 at Facebook and Uber. And I promise you, employee number 54 at Facebook made more money than every person in this room, including me right now. Self-awareness is the most important conversation in our society. The rise of entrepreneurship and the coolness has forced so many people into thinking they need to be one. Entrepreneurship is a skill no different than playing a professional sport or being a professional performer. I implore you to use tonight as an opportunity to start finally being honest with yourself and asking yourself a series of questions around what you're good at and what you like. When somebody is lucky enough to be great at what they like, they achieve ridiculous levels of success. Most people are not fortunate enough to have those serendipities because they limit themselves from trying things or they deploy delusion around their ideology of what they wish they were instead of looking at themselves and figuring out what they actually are. I cannot be more clear in my statement of how easy it is to be successful on the internet today. It's just the truth. I mean, when I just think about the ability to sell stuff on the internet and the infrastructure cost being so low, I just am passionate to make sure everybody understands what's happening in the macro, which is very simply, nothing makes me laugh more than when people get mad at the algorithms for a platform that is fucking free. People are like, Zucks is trying to fuck me. Zucks charged zero dollars for your account. We are doing an awful job in the macro 
of understanding the opportunity in front of us and more importantly, when we have something that works, squeezing the shit out of it and getting the most value out of it. So many people get upset with platforms because they did get there early enough and it was easy and when it tightens up because ad spend comes in and starts filling the feed, they get sad that they don't get the free impressions anymore. We have to. We have to heed the moments. When I come up here and I articulate in this mood, not the mood that some of you normally see me in, around the opportunity in LinkedIn, the opportunity in podcasts, the opportunity in influencer marketing, many of you, and I've watched you, shake your heads. You understand those truths. You dap each other if you've been doing it a little bit. But the reality is, are you going 120 on it? Do you understand that the target moves? Do you understand that if I come back here in 18 months? I mean, look, my last book I wrote, Crushing It, which only came out 18 months ago, I didn't even mention LinkedIn in the book. It wasn't even in the book. Because that's how fast all of the attention changes. Musical.ly's crushing it three years ago with 13-year-olds, then it dies because of the acquisition, then it reforms itself and comes back as TikTok, and now it really matters. Like, the speed in which this all is evolving is enormous, which means the capabilities you need to have are enormous. But this starts with self-awareness and auditing your skill set. If you look at my career from 1996 to today, I have been on top of and a contemporary and a great executor of almost every shift except one. I am silent from 2002 to 2006 because that was the era when blogs exploded and I can't write for shit. There is nobody who has five New York Times bestselling books that writes worse than me on earth. The reason I couldn't take advantage of blogs was I couldn't write, I was self-aware enough that I couldn't, I didn't have the money or infrastructure to hire a writer to do it, and so I had to take that L and miss that era with enormous frustration. We do not have that issue anymore because with internet at scale, written word, audio, and video, and the ability to go live with your audience are all here. You have the ability to reverse engineer your passions and strengths and deploy them. The problem is the framework that most people have is fast and me. It's fast and what do I get? And it is obvious to me as I stand here tonight that the unlock for the 90% in this room is slow and them. Slow and them. And that's how I see the world. How has what happened to me happened? Because every time I post every single day, I'm trying to think about why would that bring you value? Why do a lot of people come to this event to see me? It's because I've brought them value. It's because something I've said or done gave them value. I am fascinated by how every single day I try to articulate in different forms, whether in cartoon form, in cursing form, in audio form, in picture form, how do I get people to understand how enormous the opportunity is and how 
amazing it is for us to be alive during this era. Please use this tone. And by the way, we're about to go to Q&A, so a couple things. I know the mic is over there, so anybody who wants to, yep, they're waving their hands, so anybody who wants to rush, this is it. This is your chance to ask a question and line up over here, so do not be bashful, do not regret it. I really want to go into the Q&A. I've said what I've had to say, which is, please don't let this era go by. Please, let me, let me put the real pressure on. I, I am scared that many of you will send me an email in 15 years and say, hey, you probably don't remember this, but you were in Sydney in 2019, you said all these things, and I didn't act on them, and I wish I did. And I get those emails all the time, because I bring this up in a lot of my talks over the last 15 years. Just don't. Like, please challenge yourself. Like, if it's not clicking right now, it's not gonna get easier. This is the easiest it's ever been. The economy globally will go the other direction. There was a nice little blip in China just 48 hours ago. You get a couple more of those blips and it gets real hard real fast. I just am desperate for people to start understanding they need to attack. Sydney, please attack. Please, please take my focused energy this evening in understanding that there's no reason to be passive anymore in your communication. Nothing matters more than communicating on an everyday basis on the internet. Nothing. Nothing. There's no system. There's no funnel. Nothing matters more than bringing value to the end consumer in content on a daily basis as an awareness play to what you do for a living. Nothing. It's called building brand. It takes a long time. But it will absolutely be the best thing that you possibly do. Thank you. Let's go. Hi, Gary. How are you? Good, thanks. Yourself? I'm amazing. Great, great. Um, so I own a company called um, Logo Social. Um, the question I've got for you is, should I be, pay, should I be um, focusing on Sydney for paid advertising or should I be trying to hit like every major city around the world? Well, how are you doing in Sydney? Um, to be honest, a lot of our... A lot of our purchases are in Sydney and in Paris. Um, so I'm trying to think if I should be aiming more at Europe as well or because of the time zones and the, the different seasons. Well, look, I mean, I think wide and deep both work. It just comes down to your skill set. I mean, if you think you're converting more business in Europe for some rhyme or reason, then that's where you want to focus. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not... I'm unemotional about where business comes from. I just want to make sure that it's not an ideology that you want to be fucking global yeah. and that's why you do it. I wanted, I'm hoping you're doing it because it's in the best interest of your business. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's just, um, it's just because of like, you know, the, the, the summer here and the winter there, just trying to um, make sales and, and create content for each sort of um, country and, and making it work for us. I'm not sure what Mother Nature has to do with this, but what do you mean by that? Um, just with the different seasons. I mean, you know, this time of year, it's winter here, so we're creating more... Um, you winter know, content? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. And it's summer over there and trying to 
um, create content, create you know clothing for both sort of times a year and spreading across there. Yeah, I don't see that as a challenge. Like, you know, the reality is that's the cost of entry, right? And if where the context of the market is, that's what you have to do. Right. Good. So, all right, Thank thanks, mate. Hey. Hey, Gary. How are you? Good. How are you? Tremendous. Awesome. Um, my name is Ninos. Um, I run a small real estate photography company. Okay. Um, basically, I've consistently managed to beat my current salary because I work full time as well. Okay. Um, my question is, when is the you right mean your time? Your side hustle makes more money than your actual job. For the past six months, yes. Okay. My question is, when's like the right time to quit the job now. and go full time? Right now. Right now. And before everybody claps for you, you may fail, but the reality is you can always get another fucking job. Yeah, you can always get another shitty job. The, t- the time is now. If you're outperforming your regular job with your side hustle, you will be dumbfounded by what actually happens when you go full time. I only work about two hours a day at it. <laughs> you mean at your work? No, at my side hustle. That's what I mean. When you yeah. convert that to 13 hours, you're going you're gonna to easily trump what you're doing in your regular job salary above and beyond in closing that gap. Sure. Fucking love you, man. Love you back. Let's go, Gary. Hi, Gary. My name Hi. is Lucy Lynn. Hey, I'm the founder of Forest Lynn. How are you? I'm good, thank good. you. Thank you so much for coming to Sydney. We're all very excited. I'm excited to be here. I fucking love this city. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have an innovation marketing company and what we do is a lot of marketing to um, emerging technology companies and with this it's all about taking new products and services out to market, especially if they're you know, using new technologies like blockchain and smart cities, etc. Okay. How do you educate people who is in a brand new space? What's your best educational methods um, of taking things out to market? I, I put out the content for free. You know, what's unique about what I do is I give away all of VaynerMedia's secrets on a daily basis for free. Yeah. And most people think that's stupid. Most people think the information they have is what they're selling. I think the contextual execution is what I sell and the way that we grow in new areas is because I'm putting out the content for free. Okay. So I think you should make white papers and videos and podcasts about the information for free. Okay, and that's the best way of educating brand new spaces. Of course, because then you're creating content at scale and it's just naturally educating the market. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much. The other thing to consider with a business like yours is to do more work for free. Uh, Okay. People are unbelievably resistant to doing free work, but to me, free work is usually the gateway to paid work. And the amount of people that have audacity to not do free work when nobody's fucking paying them blows my mind. How much free work can I do? As much as you can bear. Without eating instant noodles every night. (laughs) Noodles are delicious when you're trying to get to caviar. Very true, thank you. You're welcome. JV, how are you my man? I am really good. Very, very good. Um, Look, there's a big concern spending two to three years you know, with a lot of hard work building up a brand across these platforms only to have a platform go obsolete. Uh, is there a way to ensure, you no. know, as platforms come and go, 
all no. the hard work that we do. <laughs> no. Because people are confused. When you brand properly for those two or three years, you get the brand value. Hmm. When I crushed Twitter from 2007 to 11, I got the brand value even though Twitter declined after that. I still know who Dane Cook and Tila Tequila are because they crushed MySpace 30 years ago. Like, just because you don't reach as many people organically doesn't mean what you did for two or three years didn't work. You didn't keep your users on television and print and radio and billboards. We're not here to amass lists that we can reach in perpetuity. We're here to build brand. Is there a strong way to transfer those users on the platform to new platforms as they come, if you can see them declining? Yes, bring fucking value to them while you've got them on the platform and their attention and they will fucking find you on a new shit. Thanks, Gary. You're welcome. Like, I, like, I, you wanna hear something funny? I wish everything that was relevant right now disappeared and we all started over tomorrow on paper.com. I'd be the most followed fucker in the world. Hello. Hey, hey Gary, how are you, mate? Um, I've got an innovation that has a global patent on it. It's an Australian innovation. Okay. And I want to get it at scale globally. There's 200 billion products per annum in this space, and this innovation does like 15 innovations in one. And I'm wondering, there's a lot of Australian company owners here, and you're obviously a, um, a guy that's very successful. Do you invest in Australian businesses and Australian companies, and do you ever look at a product that might come from out of Australia. Well, I started marketing when I was yes. not 19. I, I was an early investor in Canva and, okay. and other Australian... Co- like, sure, I, I don't give a shit where it comes from. If it's good, I'm interested. Good. We had a thing called uh, Overseas and Undersold. I studied when I was 19, now 46. And literally, Australia has got a really good innovation hub here. I agree. I'd love to talk to you or, or get in contact with your staff at some stage. Thank you, mate. You're welcome. Legend. Hi Gary, Hello. welcome to Sydney. Thank you. My name is Meg. Meg. I have a uh, activewear brand called Valkyrie Athletic. Okay. My question is how to stay fresh and relevant in an oversaturated industry. Um, by innovating product or your communication. Mm-hmm. It's not super complicated. It's the same game that Nike or Under Armour or Adidas have battled for you know, every fashion brand, there's only, when you have a brand like that, there's only two ways you win. You innovate product or you innovate the way you communicate to the end consumer. All right, I'm trying to do both. I've been following all your advice, got a podcast going. Um, it's, it seems to be working pretty well. Uh, I have a second question. I'm about to move to London and I want to come and work for VaynerMedia. How do I do that? You apply. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, Any tips to stand out? You know, it's funny, we... We don't have a, we're really kind of funny in the way we hire. We go in all sorts of different directions. I, I would say this, I think, I think Vayner is very much a people organization. I would probably go follow all the people that work at London, there's about 100 of them, and see if you have common interests with any of them and engage in those conversations on Twitter and other platforms with them and use that as a gateway to awareness of you and then use that to apply. Thanks, Gary. You're welcome. Hey Gary, hey, bro. Um, Liam, I'm 19 from Perth. Nice to meet you. Um, yeah, you too. I'll give you a quick summary. Basically, 2018 I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. If you don't I'm know sorry. what that is. It's, I do. Yep. 
Well, um, so I did about six months chemotherapy, a few weeks of radiation therapy, and it was like one of the hardest things I've had to do in my life. Of course. Um, post coming out of that, I basically realized, fuck this, I don't want to work a normal job, and uh, just made me realize every day is not guaranteed pretty yes. much. Right. Um, so I decided to start my own gym wear apparel company. Um, my goal is to basically create a symbol of like strength and a label that people in my position can like wear and gain strength and basically realize that they can make it through whatever they're going through. Okay. Um, my question is, I do want to eventually at some point be able to donate free clothes okay. to these people. Okay. Um, my concerns are that one, should I wait for my brand to actually be big enough to mean something or should I just like cut this shit, start doing it now? When it's not really built, doesn't really make much. If the punchline of the product is to inspire them and give them courage, and you haven't established that brand, then you're just giving them clothes. Yeah. yeah. So you know, usually I'm a, as you can tell, I, and you probably know, I tend to be like now. But I think the way you framed it up, I wouldn't mind for you to actually build the storyline, because it's that logo that's going to actually deliver what you're trying to deliver. Totally. Awesome. Um, my second question is, I just bought a hoodie for me as well to give to you, if you wouldn't mind. I'd love to give it to you after. or even... You can give it to me now. Oh, sweet. I'll grab it for you. Thanks. You got it, brother. How you going, Gary? My name's Nathan. Nathan, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, you seem pretty chill and uh, yeah. on top of things. So my question is, how do you handle stress and adversity in your businesses? By realizing it doesn't mean dick. I mean it, I have never been able to really get down on business because I basically make pretend in my mind when something awful happens in business that instead of this awful thing that happened, we had a great day, but I got a phone call that one of the 10 people I love the most died in a horrific accident and it just wakes me up and puts me in perspective. I have business in a very big perspective. I am unbelievably not interested in money. I do not validate myself, I'm not interested in flashy shit, I'm into the game, money is great, it's fine, it it rewards a lot of opportunity, but the stress is easy when you don't have your emotions wrapped up in the success of your business. Yeah. Like, I love doing business. Like, the reason I garage sale or go do a week at a baseball card show like I just did is because I love the process, not the gifts that are given to me personally from the business. So the stress that I get from business is extremely low because I'm not scared to go to zero. Yeah, makes sense. You understand? Yeah. And that, if you go deeper, is grounded in the fact that I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about me. Yeah. If I completely collapse and go to zero and everybody here and all of social and all of internet says, see, he was full of shit, he wasn't good, I generally wouldn't care. Yeah. I just have no interest in living my life based on other people's opinions. Thank you. I just think you need to put business in perspective. Like, and also, I'm thankful for playing. Like, the cost of entry of being an entrepreneur is having ridiculously difficult days. You wanna live your life on your own terms? Of course it should be hard. Otherwise we'd all be doing it. 
perspective. Thanks. You got it. Hi, Gary. Hey. Hi. My name's Samara. I work for a digital media company called Fisheye Creative in Newcastle. Okay. My question is, so I have no interest in being the business owner or the entrepreneur. I want to be the best number two. I love that. I, and I would like to know what you would say to your number two What's the best way to add to the productivity and the value of the company and to assist the number one? By reverse engineering the number one's shortcomings. By, sorry? By reverse engineering the number one's shortcomings. Okay. The best thing a number two can do is close the gaps of a number one. Cool. Are you a good match to your number one? Yes. Well, then that's a good starting point. Awesome, thank you. Know? you. Uh, to me, it's about complementary skills at that level. And so it's just, you know, a lot of times number two struggle because they want to do or they're as or they're equally have the same talents as the number one and that's where friction comes from. I think it's a game of complementary skills and so the, the relationships that I've seen and the ones that have worked for me is when the number two is filling in the blanks of the number one and allowing the number one to do her or his magic. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I really appreciate you validating that it's okay not to be the entrepreneur as well. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, my great fear is that as entrepreneurship has gotten popular, obviously that's been directly a benefit to me, but I have no interest in anybody aspiring to be one when they're not in the same way that I take a lot of issue with people thinking that going to university is the way to go. Like. We have, to, we have to change the conversation and make this about happiness and self-awareness, not fucking money. Yeah, thank you. Hi, Gary. It's uh, Amir Meshel from Sydney. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you. How are you? Really, really good. I've got a hashtag question for you, Gary. Okay. Um, we develop residential property in a regional town called Oberon, New South Wales. Okay. And if the hashtag Oberon New South Wales isn't popular yet, what do you do to grow a hashtag that people wouldn't search for it unless they knew about it? Why would you want it to be popular? Well, I'd want people to see a small regional town of 3,600 people getting $200 million into it as popular despite its size. But why would you do that in the form of making a hashtag popular? Well, I'm more into people finding the town and organically looking at why they should invest money in my projects in that town. Well, you should do that by putting out content to build awareness because a hashtag is not gonna do that for you. So content specific for the town or content of developments or why you should invest in general? Yes. General. Both. You know, a hashtag is a tactic that isn't ownable. I can, I can put out a post right now of why people should invest in soccer and proper football cards and put that hashtag in my post. Hashtags are not ownable and they're not the discovery tool that you assume they are. You should run creative in the form of videos and probably white papers and decks and then you should target them against development investors. So target the white papers with the content and then and target go the deeper down if, the funnel. If you're looking for investors, you may want to go into Instagram and go against funds that invest in developments, not put all your energy in trying to get a hashtag popular on Instagram and Twitter that will lead to nothing. 
Wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. Strategy, motherfuckers. <laughs> yes, sir. Hi, Gary. Um, I'm Dimi. Nice to meet uh, you. I've just uh, recently started my own podcast. Good. And um, my question is geared towards uh, something that I've heard you say about quantity, uh, unlocking quality. Yes. Uh, was there like a moment in time from when you started doing um, your video was with Wine Library where was there a moment in time where you just clicked or did you navigate through like becoming better speaking on camera or speaking to an audience? I think I had that natural ability. You know, if you look at the first 60 episodes of Wine Library TV in 2006, I was more reserved, even maybe the demeanor I'm having tonight. Mm -hmm. That was predicated on me worrying that a lot of the people that were spending $100,000 with me in wine as a 28-year-old would be scared off by my ridiculousness. But the gift of gab and having charisma and being a storyteller and having a comfort with people was just naturally in me. Um, but there's a lot of people who are not as over the top as me that are massively successful because they're their authentic self. And you don't need to be a showman to have a top podcast. You know, Tim Ferriss has an incredible podcast. He's not over the top. So what you need to do is lean into your DNA, not try to have a moment where you click and become over, you know, a, a different version of yourself. I was also just thinking in terms of your, your, your self or my self-development or yours, was, would you review what you were, what, your videos and what no. you were doing? No. I've never watched a piece of my content. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. I have no interest. I fucking did it. Okay, good. I know what's in it. Good, that's how I feel. Good. Thanks, man. You all right, brother. Hey. Hey, Gary. How are you? Hey, good, thanks. How are you? Super. Awesome. My name is David. Uh, I'm a banker. And I, I know what you mentioned, that you don't really give a shit what people think of you. But what do you tell people that you care about uh, when they tell you to maybe chill out or calm down or take it easy? How do you deal with that? Because you actually care about them. I tell, I tell them that I, that I love that and I appreciate where they're coming from. But... I have no interest in telling them how to live their lives, so I'd appreciate if they told me not how to live mine. Awesome, awesome, thank you. You got it. Hey Gary, my name's Chris, welcome to Sydney. And thank I you, wanna say friend. thank you thank for you. your work. Thank you, bro. I thought I'll bring some value to the room. Um, for smaller business owners, how do they make content at scale with limited budget? Because I work in the creative space, but we hire T1 type companies and stuff. But I just want you to elaborate. And for smaller business owners, how do they keep up to the such a demanding social media space, Facebook, Instagram, and the like? By auditing all the dumb shit that they and their employees do all day and turn that into making content. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, listen, like, I get those emails all the time, and I'm like, you know, some store emailed me the other day, and I went back and forth with her, and I said, do you have cashiers? She said, yeah. I go, how many are on during a normal shift? She said, two. I said, are they busy? She said, of course not. I'm like, so let them make content. Like, the amount of time that you actually are wasting in a day on dumb shit, including myself, all of us, is extraordinary. Anybody who tells me, Gary, I just watched your keynote on YouTube. How do I find time to make all that content? I reply with, don't watch an hour of my fucking keynote. <laughs> hey, 
Hey, Gary, thank you so much for adding so much value to us in Sydney today and for coming down under. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, I'm Mary Jane. My company is Paper Phoenix, and um, I own a marketing and public relations agency. Makes sense. My question is around authenticity. Now, being someone who controls another dozen people's social media accounts... Um, humans? Yes, absolutely. That's already a bad All starting humans. point to <laughs> authenticity. There you go. Right. So that's my question yeah. is um, all these apps have come out now with automatically replying for your social media accounts or even liking and you don't even know what they're liking. Do you think it's a great idea to invest or keep the authenticity really real no matter how long it takes me to be authentic for my clients? You're not authentic if you're speaking on behalf of somebody who's not you. You're just the human version of those fucking piece of shit products. <laughs> Wish I had asked another question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, think about it, right? You're, you're putting judgment on a machine that yeah. is liking and doing all these hacks that a lot of people love to do and they don't realize that at the end of the day that's gonna fuck them because it just kills the soul. Agreed. But meanwhile, you're writing on behalf of another human being. Correct, but that's, um, that's when you try to get into their business and understand their business and not happening either. All right, just change my job. <laughs> you, should, you, you could do whatever you want. I think it's way worse for them than it is for you. You know, I laugh when people don't think it's me when I reply to them. You know, it's, it's the main reason I get to stand on this stage is because it was always me. Great, thank Authenticity... You is only achievable when it's actually authentic. Wonderful, thank you so much. You got it. Hi Gary. Hi. Hi. Um, so I have a question about investing, because I okay. was just thinking about starting to invest, but okay. I would like it to be something that I'm actually interested in. Smart. Have you looked into vegan companies? Because vegan? I, yes, because I know a lot of people say it's a trend, but I think in 10, 20 years, it's not just a trend anymore. No, it's, it's not gonna a trend. Be, it's, in perpetuity. Yeah, so do okay. you reckon it's a good idea starting to invest in, like, let's say Beyond Meat or whatever type of company it is? Yeah, the problem is, like, there's a lot of people that think how you think. So there's, yes, I think there'll be vegan-based companies that are successful in the next 20 years. I also think that 98% of them will fail. Okay, but so I, do like, I do like the idea of investing in places that you know or are passionate about. Okay, awesome, thank I you. I do like that, I think, you're welcome. I think that's, I, I do like where you're going with that. I just wanna make sure that you realize because it's a macro trend, yeah. there'll be a lot of losing. Not everybody gets to win. Yes. Just like <laughs> a lot of people have lost in social media, but the macro trend was right. Yes. Got it? Awesome, thank okay, you. Okay, cool. Hey. Hi Gary, my Hi. name's Elizabeth Ann Walker. Thank Hi. you for coming. Thank you. I love your heart. Thank you. Um, I, hope people, I love your scarf. Thank you. I hope people realize and actualize their dreams. And in 2008, I got on social media for the first time because this weird guy from New York told me to. Uh, I've built a business. At that time, it saved my life, literally. It did. It was the only way I could communicate with people because I'd walked away from someone who'd hurt me that should have loved me. I understand. Nine days ago, you told us, well, you told me to get on TikTok. <laughs> the first video I did is now up to 63,000 views. Amazing. 
So thank you. How do I make that happen for the other videos? Because they're sitting between 200 and 1,000. So I want to know, what's the strategy? The first video was, hey, is there anyone from Australia on this <laughs> app? Because I can't see any Australians here. Uh, it's gone wild. What so, do I need to do to, to actualize this platform? Because I freaking love it. I think you just need to keep making. Great. You know, think about yeah. it. Your first so just volume. It's just volume. Yeah. You got to try things. Cool. The biggest struggle this collective room has is they don't break out of their box because they're worried about judgment or they're worried about short-term success. Yeah. When you didn't know any better, you made the best video you've made. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. yeah. And my kids were like, no, you can't be on TikTok. Of course. I, like every time I do this, I get a huge influx of kids saying, you fucker. You know, this was my place, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, marketers ruin everything. Um, so just keep, keep trying shit. Awesome, thank you. You got it. Thank you. Thanks for the kind words. Hey. G'day, Jerry. Uh, Gary, G'day. my name's Ben. Hey, Ben. You guys are putting me off. Uh, my question is, how do you get the most out of your team? Uh, from day to day to week to week, um, yeah, how do you put a, put a fire under their ass and get the most out of them? Uh, by realizing that I work for them, not the other way around. I think most people suck at being bosses because they think that their employees owe them something for what they pay them for, and I think of it the other way around, which is I pay them and I owe it to them to put them in a position to succeed, so I spend all my time listening and understanding whether it's positive word reinforcement, finances, work-life balance, title, or whatever it might be that actually makes them go. Most people have a one-size-fits-all. Most people try to make their employees act like them, and it's the biggest mistake of all time. People would be stunned if they came to VaynerMedia of how few people are in the office at 6 p.m. from somebody that hustles. I don't hold my employees accountable to my framework. I'm in the business of listening to them on an individual basis to figure out how to get them motivated and happy. Yeah, I love that. Um, do you mind if I get one more quick one? Um, if you, say, do events or you um, maybe take on a new client or whatever it may be, how do you get them uh, excited and see the passion and the vision that uh, you want to instill within this event or the client or something, a new project? At the, at the employee level or at the client level? Yeah, so, you know, I, I take on clients and I look after different media projects. Um, if I take on someone and I see this grand vision, but say it's in flooring products and generally we work with uh, florists, you know, how do I really start installing that vision and, and try to portray something long term? To the client? I, no, sorry, I've sold the client. To, to my staff who are managing the account, who are creating the content, who are, who are you know, looking at, at my vision. By firing the ones that don't. <laughs> okay. Do you understand? Yeah, elimination. A hundred percent. People are confused. Hiring is guessing. Firing is knowing. <laughs> Cheers. Thank Cheers. You. To that shit. Yo. Yo. Um, I'm just going to read this because I'm nervous and I'll no fuck worries, it up. No worries, mate. Otherwise. Don't worry. Go ahead. Uh, a few years ago, I was going through a really rough time in my life and uh, I was trying a whole lot of things and I was getting a whole lot of shit from friends, like my closest friends. Yes. Uh, they're not my friends anymore. Good. Um, at that time, uh, all of that was happening was in 2016. Uh, was at the time when I heard about you and started learning off your content. 
One of the things I decided to try and I'm now continuing and pushing hard is my lifelong passion of music. And so I wrote a song called Winning This Game, which actually features a recording of one of your quotes, and it has you in it, um, because it was, it's so relevant and helped me so much. Thank you. It sounded a little bit like, find new friends, I'm being dead serious about this. You're whatever, uh, you are whatever of your five closest friends, that shit, put it in a fucking bank. <laughs> <laughs> so the question I have is actually to ask your permission to have it featured on my song. Done. And if I can give you this piece of paper to remind you to listen to it, and as I put my heart and soul into it, and I know you will love it, and thank you for so much for being so inspirational, the educational, the permission's and real. <laughs> thank you, brother. The permission's granted. Yeah. Don't give me the paper because I'll lose it. Okay. But if you if you email me in the title, say I'm the dude that came to the mic and told you about this. Like, put it all in the title yeah. and put the link in the in the body, and I'll listen to it. Okay. Cool. Awesome, mate. Thanks. Thank you. Let me give five more. I'm going to extend it a little bit. Hey. Hey, Gary. Uh, Christine from Peanut Butter Bar. I've been stalking you for the last two weeks. How are you? How are you? I Good. hope our video made you smile somehow. Yes. Um, my question to you is regarding rebranding. So that we are the world's first peanut butter dessert bar, and two years in, we've now realized we have to change direction and our brand ID. Um, my question is regarding rapport and credibility. What happens to all our customers and all the hype that we've created over the last two years and how do we kind of continue with that credibility You make the forward? campaign very predicated on the name change, right? Like you make it a fun, positive event. And so what you need to, th- like when you completely rebrand, you know, complete, like what are you going to rebrand to? Well, the, the name will stay the same, but the ID will change. So we, we, we're currently very niche, and now we're going into a more of a mass kind of approach. So, so we, we're moving from fitness to sort of peanut butter obsession. Help me a little more because I want to give you the right answer. You've been doing what? We've been focused on the fitness market, so sort of high-protein desserts, dumbbells, and muscles. Okay. Now we're sort of dropping that and going into peanut butter attic universe. And so, so what are you worried about? Well, we're changing the logo, we're changing the ID, sort of the communication, and we're just worried about the credibility. So we've taken people on a journey for two years, and now we're kind of, you know, pivoting to another communication. And you'd like to keep them, is what you're saying? We, we want to keep the ones that we've created up until now, but we also, and we don't want to sort of lose the, the faith and the, and the sort of relationship we've built with these existing customers. But when you change your tone, that's inevitably going to happen with a percentage of them. So just continue on and, and sort of try and create a new universe around the brand? It's the decision you've already made. Fair enough. Um, do, do you understand that? No, understand. I'm just worried I, about credibility because we've But you've made that decision. Fair enough. Do you, like, you know, I get I, it. I get it. Good. Like... Once you've made that decision and you've done it for, it sounds like, in my opinion, probably good reasons, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You're trying to go to a broader market and you're going to lose a percentage of your niche market when you make that transition. We're just trying to be greedy, I guess, trying to sort of keep Greed the Greed fucking and... sucks. <laughs> and what you're, you so what, what you're being is ideological and hopeful and that's fine. But if you spent every second that you just asked me that question about how to make sure the new audience grows so fast that you never feel that you lost any percentage of your old audience, you'd be in a much better place. Fair enough. You see where I'm going? Yeah. That's what you have to do. Once you've made that decision, you need to put all your eggs in that basket, not be hopeful of what will happen, and that's where a lot of people get caught. They, 
they can't deal with the one step backwards for the two steps forward. And what I'm trying to do is get you into a mindset of being obsessed with three steps forward so you don't even feel the one step backwards. Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. You got it. Hello. Hey, Gary. How, how are, are you? you? I'm Sean. I'm Sean, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, just to give you context about me, I'm a sub-teacher. Um, that's important because I gave up a day of work to be here today. That's good. <laughs> um, good decision. You inspired me to make my own podcast with a friend of mine. We target 16 to 30-year-olds. We talk conspiracies, trends, current affairs, try and add some comedic value to it. We do my own version of trash talk and show the kids and adults that we can make extra income and I update the listeners on my wins and my losses along the way. I like that. But also I want to talk sports, education and give advice where I have qualification to do so. So my question is, should I put all the topics under the same umbrella yes. or should I branch out and create other channels no. and other um, nope. brands? No. Would it be optimal to keep everyone under the same umbrella yes. so that are the same listeners? Yes. Okay, cool. Thank Good. you very much. Thank you. I think, I think in a world that we're in now, the uniqueness of your hodgepodge and potpourri of subject matters is your strength, not your weakness. And if you created four brands, you'd sink. Uh, hey, Gary. I'm Nick. Um, so right now I'm 16 and in high school and I want to be an entrepreneur, just like using all that. Okay. So what advice would you give me? Would like, do you reckon like completely disregard school and focus on entrepreneurship? Yes. Or, yep, like personal brand? Yes, I mean, you know, the, I, I would if you think you're an entrepreneur, you need to find out and, you're, and I don't think 16's too young to know yep. this. You need to really ask yourself if you're trying to force yourself to be an entrepreneur because it's cool yep. or if it's who you actually are. Yeah. Wanting to be one I want to be a fucking quarterback of the New York Jets. Yeah. Wanting something versus being capable of it are two very different things. If you truly are an entrepreneur, yes, I think you can punt school. Yeah. If you're doing it because it's the thing now, then you're going to be vulnerable. Yeah. yeah, I'm just doing it to like get ahead, you know, get out of the rat race, you know, even though I'm not even in it. That's an ideology. Yeah. Rat race of what? Life. Like bullshit school that makes you do nothing? That's not a rat race. That's a fucking vacation, bro. Yeah, I get out as early as possible for go to uni and all that. But I just want to make sure that you're not being ideological about it. And it's like, yeah. you know, like, you know, I, I just, you know, I just want to make sure, sure a lot of kids are like, yo, I'm going to do this. I'm like, cool. Are you good at selling stuff? Do you have a good idea? Are you willing to put in the work ethic? A lot of kids that suck at school look at entrepreneurship as the vacation. Entrepreneurship is way fucking harder than school. Yeah. Are you good yeah. at selling shit? Um, yeah, right now I have like Instagram account, I have like 80,000 followers, I upload like music. And Do you make money, it. bro? Yeah. How yeah. much? Um, so I've done about 4,000 in the past three months just from like shout outs. And good promos. start. Yeah. yeah. Quit school. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. You got it. G'day. G'day. Um, my question is, in a world um, where business is about giving, what is the right motivation for attempting to make profit as opposed to just being a charity? Um, because you want to. Okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with making profit in the same way that there's nothing wrong with, you know, being fully 
in a charity mindset. You know, the, the motivation is you chose to for whatever reason. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think this is something that some people struggle with. You know, it's funny, when I wrote Jab, 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 Right Hook, I thought I was writing it for people that were just always spamming and I needed to show them how to bring value so that they could close their sale. What I realized after writing it was it was really written for people that always give value and it gave them permission to ask for a sale. There's yeah. nothing wrong with generating profit because at the end of the day, if you choose that that's what you want to do, then that's more than okay. I think doing good is a competitive advantage for businesses, you know? Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. We're going to do a couple more. I'm sorry. I've been over time for a while now. Go ahead. Hey, Gary. How are you? My name's Arjun from Investikit, a buyer's agency for residential and commercial investors. Arjun. I just wanted to say a massive, massive thank you because... Um, you have enabled me to just focus so hard on reinvesting in myself and in business. I haven't taken a dollar for myself for like the last year, and it's just been phenomenal. Yes. But um, where the business is now is uh, I really want to scale out with different solutions of technology and education, but at the same time, I have my core business, a buyer's agency. Okay. A part of me goes, do you put them under different brands and, and try and connect them? But then a part of me goes, no, you're building this community and you can help them in so many ways. How do you sort of make these types of decisions so you don't feel like you're cramming your audience or too much at the same time you could separate it? You pick a decision because both could work and you live with it. Cool. I think so. Do you feel that sometimes you can create a brand disconnect from putting too many things or in your mm -hmm. experience of scaling and adding services and products? How do, Not how do you if feel? you're able to execute. You know, when Apple decided to make a phone and not just an iPod, that worked because it was good. Yeah, no, fair call. The whole game for everybody, like for all of us, is execution. You can do anything if you do it well. Thank I mean, you so much, man. I mean, everybody told me to stay in the wine business and I would never be successful in advertising. That seemed like far-fetched and disconnected. I just thought I could do it well. And so the answer is yes, if you can execute. Last one. Cool. Hey, Gary, I teach people how to sing better and I absolutely love it. Okay. I'm gradually growing it, but I'm not making enough to take care of my mom who's got a disability. So okay. My question is, from your experience, is this just a game of patience? Maybe. And what I mean by that is, what I would really audit is every other minute besides you teaching people to sing and you having to do another job in addition to help a mother who's disabled. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, maybe you'll click and get the right client who gets you another 30 clients and all of a sudden you're right there the other option you have is to audit every other hour that you have that isn't in the full-time job and the side hustle of singing that may allow you to do more of the singing stuff. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like usually the thing when people have to do two things that they have to focus on is auditing their leisure so that they can pour more time into their side hustle so that the side hustle can actually grow while they're keeping something that makes the practicality of their short-term needs viable. 
Cool. Thank you so much. In the way that those questions went, I think half the time it's affirmation. I think the other half of the time is my lack of education and my lack of paying attention to other voices has created an extremely simple framework where the answer's simple and they weren't looking for affirmation. They just had so many contradictory thoughts that getting the simplicity of the answer just created clarity. Mm. I think the far majority of people overthink shit. And so it's either affirmation or it's simplicity. Excellent. Um, I set you up tonight as if you were going to be a, like a bat out of hell. I heard. <laughs> How often are you in this really connected, peaceful power? Like one in every like 20 to 30 talks, this comes out and I'm always interested in it. You know, there's, it's, it's not predicated on being tired. You know, I always think when I do this, I'm like, do they think that it would like, it's predicated on I'm in mid thought. You know, a lot of times where, when it happens, I can feel myself in a zone where I'm just so quiet and it doesn't, you know, I also am very thoughtful. What I mean by that is, this is now the third time I'm at Sydney in, you know, a ye- in less than two and a half years. And so I'm always thoughtful of most of this room, whether they've seen it physically here or online, have gotten the energy thing. I thought tonight, you know, I think of myself as somebody who's trying to find different angles to connect. And I think this tone with this information tonight for a lot of people might be not disappointing, but sometimes when you go see your favorite band, you want to hear the hits, right? And other times you want to hear something else. And for me, I'm desperate to get people to win. And if I can throw this off speed pitch or curveball, and because I did, this was the time something penetrated their mind because the beat of the cadence of what I normally do has become mundane and they're used to it. Mm. I'm always trying to do things that bring value and intuitively tonight here, I felt this was the right tone and tenor and that's what I went with. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.